Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Sean Atkinson. Today we're talking about Cybersecurity Awareness Month, the Community Defense Model, and with us today is Phil Langlois, who works with the Verizon Business Group and who worked on and is a contributor to the Community Defense Model to CIS controls from the past. Phil, it's great to have you on board. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. Great to see you again. It's been a while. It has been a long time. Phil, could you do a quick introduction uh, about yourself and, and what you're doing at, in the Verizon uh, business group? Yeah, absolutely. So um, name is Phil Lango. I'm currently working as one of the DBIR co-authors. And, uh, you know, it's kind of not only just writing the report, but I'm also the lead for all the infrastructure. So doing all that fun, setting up servers for our data scientists and all that. Uh, and actually... Probably one of the reasons why I'm here today is because I previously worked with Sean at CIS and some other fine folks over there. Um, I, I supported the uh, CIS controls for a couple of years. And uh, even before that, I used to work with the MSI SAC doing some uh, you know, cybersecurity assessment stuff across the, the country. So it's definitely a long history and I owe, owe a lot of my roots back to CIS. So it's always nice to be back with family. Absolutely, great to have you back. Um, Phil, as we go through, and it's uh, you know one of you're one of the contributors to the CDM um, and CDM version two. Um, I think that's important as well, just to identify your contributions not only to CIS uh, and our future and what we've been able to accomplish and now building with the CIS controls, uh, but what you're doing with the Verizon data breach investigative report is just phenomenal. So it's great to have you here. Uh, and great to get your insights on uh, data science and its applications to cybersecurity, risk management. I know we've had many, many discussions over the years in terms of those topics. So uh, really looking forward to this. So Phil, what I'm going to do, uh, you know, I've got a few questions that I want to bounce around, get your thoughts. Um, first is we're in October. So we're Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And I want to get your thoughts on strategies uh, that you think have the greatest impact on providing awareness, not only to the general public, but for employees of organizations. So, you know, I, I'm going to be a little uh, honest and blunt. I think this year is going to be one of the easiest years to be talking about cybersecurity. Um, over the last few months and even just a couple of last years, there's been so many um, very, I guess, newsworthy events that tie back to cybersecurity that have impacted people on their day to day. So while that's obviously it's very unfortunate because it's, you know, it's coming as part of this, you know, large, um, you know, cases of ransomware, you know, it's tied to these really nasty things. However, the upside is that I think everyone is starting to become more aware that cybersecurity is a thing. You know, previously, I remember when I started even just mentioning I work in cybersecurity, a lot of people just had blank faces. Right. But now I think it's much easier to say, oh, well, you know, that colonial pipeline thing or, you know, what happened in yada, yada. You know, I'm part of the folks that try to prevent that. And I think that 
really makes it easier for organizations to try to tie it into you know current events, things that are relatable. So it's not just a question of you know what is happening in my organization, but that this is part of a larger thing, right? We're all part of this ecosystem, one way or another. So you know, in terms of strategies, I think just being able to make it relevant in terms of you know this is what people are seeing in the news but then also relevant for their personal lives, right? The same strategies that you're gonna be using to protect the enterprise, it's gonna be the same strategies you're gonna to use to protect your own bank account and your own personal finances. So if you can start drawing these parallels and say, well, you know, MFA using strong passwords, these are, you know, things you would do to, to protect your organization. You know, you protect your own personal email, kind of draw these connections and, you know, make them synonymous. That, these are strategies for yourself. These are strategies you can protect the organization. Yeah, hundred percent. Completely agree. I think making it um, and to your point, it's you know part of life now. You know, there's a, there's a data breach every week. We just saw you know yesterday Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp being down. You know, it, what do all these things mean? What does that and you know, I think that potentially has the biggest hit, right? You know, DNS and uh, BGP are going to be the topics for this year's uh, security awareness yeah, program. Yeah, I can't wait to explain my mom how, you know, PGP works, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I think you're right. The, the term itself has now become, and I think, uh, and again, this I want to reflect from your experience uh, from an organization perspective, is this now being realized it's not a technology risk, but a business risk? And I think that's a huge area and a, really the, the other side of that coin that we've been trying to challenge for a number of years to get this to those executive levels, to get this realized that the digitization of uh, really our world um, has these types of consequences. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, this might just, you know, one way I, I've been kind of tracking it is through, you know, my own personal reading, right? And I think... Maybe it's because I'm getting a little older and the technology aspect, you know, while still fundamentally interesting, I'm reading a lot less technology books. I'm reading a lot less um, about different technical stacks unless I'm, you know, specifically leveraging it for a project. And I'm reading a lot more in terms of business decisions and human cognition. Um, and just how do we make decisions on the day to day? Because ultimately, you know, the decision to click on the link or a decision to to remember or recall certain information that change your behavior patterns um, is a very complicated topic. And I think, you know, when you start talking about as a business function, yeah, there's absolutely, there's that aspect of it too. Uh, but there's also just the really, the human component to it, right? So we have the, the business function, how do I justify my leadership to, you know, that this is not purely a cost center, that there's an intrinsic value and in that, you know, we want to keep our business reputation, you know, clean. We want to stay out of the headline, you know, headlines and all that. Um, but then there's also that other aspect, which is the human component, which is how do we as people make, you know, cognitive decisions and how do those decisions get impacted by, you know, say things like awareness programs or, you know, as much as we like to say we are, you know, cognitively um, rational, there's a lot of biases that, you know, obviously impact that rationality. So, and, you know, how can we kind of change those calculations and make people, you know, not only more aware, but just, uh, you know, change the behavior so that their behavior pattern is just intrinsically safer. Absolutely. So th really 
the ultimate element, there's an underlying psychology. And like you, I've been doing some research outside of the technical realm and, you know, cyber psychology and some of the work by Mary Aiken and others, uh, it's fascinating, to be honest. And I think if you don't bring that into awareness programs, I think maybe you're you're not doing yourself, employees, or even really personal lives, taking this, you know, from the business to home, especially given the remote work from home lives that we're now living, um, I think has bridged a gap that uh, we really need to look at, uh, as you mentioned, cognition and uh, why are we doing these types of things? It's yeah, I mean, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think the, uh, you know, we work in the industry and how many of us have, you know, practically fallen asleep doing security awareness training. It's intrinsically not necessarily like an exciting topic, um, kind of like telling people to floss and to exercise is not intrinsically an exciting topic, uh, but it's it's one that's key, right? That is key for, and even though, and this is, you know, it's the complicated thing is we can repeat the message over and over, but, you know, do we still, you know, I'm not the best flosser, you know, I'll admit it, you know, it's not every night, Um I know, cognitively, I know that that should be what I should do, right? Rationally, I should be able to to make that decision and, you know, decide every night that I should floss. But there's there's a step between the cognition, you know, being the being aware and then that behavior change. So I think that the more we can, you know, realize, A, it's not a technology problem and B, this is really, a, it's a people problem. And that's one, I think, uh, the things I enjoy about working on the Verizon uh, DBIR is that we try to communicate in, in a very, um, you know, simple English, you know, easy to read um, format, because we do know it's not simply about talking to technologists and talking to people that get it. It's talking to business leaders. And I think as much as we can to simplify the language and simplify how we talk about cybersecurity, you know, the better off you know, we'll be to to convince people to, you know, change their behaviors. Definitely. Definitely. Actually, just as a, a quick aside, have you seen the DBIR now being, say, from a technologist perspective, are you now seeing executives that are utilizing the DBIR as part of their annual reviews, as part of threat assessment, really getting to grips with, um, the, I mean, the phenomenal work that you're producing is being consumed, I think, by a wider range of people. I know it is in my organization. Again, we're a little biased from cybersecurity <laughs> perspective, but I know others' organizations are are taking what you do to heart and utilizing it for future decision making. Do you find that? Oh yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, I've been on the team for about three, uh, yeah, three years or so now, and uh, you know, initially it was, yeah, I know people. Obviously, you know, they like to read it. It's they respect the report and you know, that they follow along. Um, but I was actually very surprised by the amount of organizations that have kind of adopted it as part of their, their essential risk management strategy, um, either in terms of how they, you know, categorize the incidents and be able to, to roll up and say, you know, we've had this number of social events or this number of malware events that impacted these types of assets and how that compares to you know, the industry averages to, you know, organizations are using it purely for the risk management process as well, right? So they're saying, I'm industry X, I'm facing, you know, these types of incidents or these types of patterns. How should I prioritize my implementation of, say, something like the CIS controls or, you know, the NIST CSF? So there's a lot of different 
organizations that are using it um, in almost, I want to say in a stealth fashion, because no one has to ask us to use our data. All right. So we just know because we happen to run into someone at a conference or someone reaches out and says, oh, yeah, you know, you guys made this change. And, you know, that kind of changed how I was doing it. Is it still consistent? You're like, wow, we didn't even know you were using it like that. <laughs> so it's it to come out of the woodwork. And, you know, I think that's the um, one of the beauties of having, you know, something hosted on GitHub and being open source is that people can just run with, you know, the framework and they can run with the conclusions and the data that we uh, we produce in, in really unique ways. So we're always interested in hearing how people are, are leveraging it, especially when it comes to, you know, that bridging that communication gap between, you know, the technical folks and then the business folks. But I think in a lot of cases, the way you format the DBIR does that in a lot of cases because it's not strictly for a technical audience. And I think, again, just can't say enough about what you've been doing with that and, really the impact that it has, uh, because I know I use it for contextualizing my threat assessments as then I apply it to the CDM and yep. moving through those processes and you know where's the underlying control that I need based on what you're seeing through your data science and analytics uh, through that from an industry perspective uh, and really overall uh, what you're seeing from um, the threat landscape. So it's absolutely phenomenal work. Phil, I got another question. Uh, this is um, a little bit tongue in cheek, as it were, but this is, you know, does a single month provide enough awareness? Yep, cybersecurity awareness month, and should every day be cybersecurity awareness day? I mean, if it was every day, I think that would definitely keep us more busy than uh, than we <laughs> currently are. I, I I do like the idea of it being a month. Um, I think it provides kind of a a good opportunity to, you know, rally up resources and just have a, a good splash, right? And and make that visible effort, you know, and have leadership talk about the importance of it and, you know, make it kind of an agenda item. Of course, it could be, you know, cybersecurity has to be entrenched in like the everyday business and the everyday process. Um and some, you know, some of this stuff is can be kind of relatively simple, right? You know, reporting phishing and then having a, you know, thank you or, or something that kind of encourages that positive behavior, right? That, you know, of course, you need to have a day to, to remind people that, you know, this is kind of what you need to look at or look for when it comes to phishing email. But you know, kind of go on the next step and say, how do we encourage these behaviors past this one month and, and integrate it as part of our, our process? And I think there's there's been a lot of um, really neat projects uh, that kind of do that. And also there's, you know, there's two sides to it too when it comes down to awareness. And I think we tend to focus a lot on the end user, right? In which, you know, they have a very small subset of responsibilities. Um, but system engineers, network engineers, um, developers, and all of that, they also have their own role in the security um, sphere. And I don't know if we're to the point where, you know, a lot of content is being, you know, as part of cybersecurity awareness is also being targeted towards them as well. Um, but I think that's, you know, that's the other part of that equation, right? So we have the end users and we have awesome resources, you know, um, SANS releases a whole lot of free stuff. 
CIS also obviously has, has a lot of cool stuff too. Um, DHS, I think also has been releasing some, some toolkits. A lot of this just as, you know, simple stuff as a newsletter or just, you know, something to kind of remind people to be diligent. I think that's, you know, at least helps make it part of that, that normal discourse and remind people what the, the complicated email address to report incidents is when it's not just incident at blah, blah, blah. Completely agree. Uh, I think I like the month, um, you know, my adage or my position is, you know, you better be thinking about this and you better be aware 24 seven every day of the year, you know, just make yeah. my life easier. Um, but I do like the month because like you say, it does give you something to focus on and it gives you a way to uh, present the information as a way of, as a calendar or event of things that we're going to do. And I do want to touch on um, kind of the role-based security assessment, because I have found over a number of years, you know, you do the generic um, awareness training. And like, you know, we just mentioned, for us, it's, you know, I already know, I could write this, Sean, you know, you, you don't need to present this to me again. <laughs> it, right? it doesn't I change. I know it better than it, you. It doesn't yeah, change. it doesn't change. It, it's doesn't pretty change. consistent. Yeah, exactly. So we got. I think um, the way what I really like about what you were um, focused on there with, you know, from a development perspective, you know, what's my roles and responsibilities? Apply it to my job function, and where you see the potential threats in me doing my everyday work, and give me something more tangible to hold on to rather than just saying, "Don't click links in emails." Right? Yeah, I, you know, I know that already. You've talked to me about it for the last fifteen years. I'm pretty good. And, you know, obviously there's different tactics and techniques that can be used to obfuscate elements of security control. And we may get um, a little, uh, you know, confident in our capability. But uh, I do like having the month to, uh, you know, I do, again, I do have an organization-wide training. We try and change it up each year. Uh, but I am very much focused on role-based security training to give uh, contextual approaches. And that's not just one month. Um, nuggets of this um, multiple times per year. So not a full training, but enough um, tangible evidence for threats that I'm seeing. Uh, again, uh, DBIR uh, helps filter out what I'm, what's first, You know, do a risk assessment on what we want to get out there in terms of awareness and uh, new tactics and techniques. I, I mean, it, it's, uh, I can't say enough again about the MITRE attack framework because that helps, you know, as that evolves and is evolved into something fantastic. Um, you know, that also is feeding uh, these types of capabilities that I want to see. And uh, again, want to communicate. Um, and then to your point as well, is it's got to be communicated in a way that can be consumed and contextualized for, for those that are looking at it, right? You know, um, Technical folks don't, you know, necessarily need to be reminded of, you know, a phishing example. Um, but, you know, given some header information and here's some of the things we identified and here's where the ruling failed and we need to improve in these spaces because of this technique. You know, I think that gets them engaged, oh, uh, yeah. and, you know, bring some ownership. Yeah, I mean, what it's like uh, like marketing 101 almost, right? Like make sure exactly. uh, your message is, is uh, tailored to your audience, yep. um, you know. Like I said, we've we've all went through you know different security awareness um, programs. I honestly don't think any of those have been like as effective for me as like taking G Pen, right? right? I think taking you know taking a certification, understanding you know what attackers do in the process and the different ways you know they evade. Then again, you know I'm you know I'm not the the standard end user, right? I'm this 
technical security person. So, but to me, that kind of meets more, more the objective of what, you know, the training and the, you know, what would help at least bring in terms of making me a, uh, safer in my daily day you know there's nothing's sure. more dangerous than than a sysadmin or someone that thinks they know more than they actually know yeah <laughs> yeah uh, with uh no control or uh, assessment oversight and monitoring definitely i know and i get your point with you know the g pen and obviously sans has um i'll call the best training in the world in terms of uh, our area and you're right and i think from an audience from your perspective that's going to give you enough one to get into that mindset of to see what you know from the attack perspective what are the techniques and then it can even transfer into kind of a blue team re-review of how would i protect myself from that you know and then you get into the purple teaming and things of that nature but yeah no absolutely uh, again there's um I think we have to classify individuals differently based on job role and then provide something that's going to garner one interest, but then overall value to the organization. And like you say, you know, doing a G pen or a, uh, the G WAP from a web application yeah. perspective, I think is all going to contribute to that um, really absorbing the information and then being able to apply it in a lot of cases and bring that back to, you know, to peers, individuals, the community, uh, really everything that we're trying to do here and, and, uh, that you're trying to do, uh, you know, in your role as well. So I'm, I kind of mentioned this question a little bit before, but I want to touch on it a little bit because um, I think it there is a factor here, and I'm really interested in your thoughts in terms of our new normal. So we're working from home. We've, you know, been doing it, you know, it'll be two years, you know, in the blink of an eye. Has that fundamentally changed cybersecurity awareness because working from home We've now got the enterprise in our home, if you, if that makes sense, the data, the access, yep. um, uh, the systems. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a uh, that is such a, a complicated question, right? There's so many different factors. Um, the first of which, you know, I would kind of argue is in technology. I think change is kind of the norm, right? I think that's something that you know we have to be cognizant that the the status quo or normal way of doing business, especially in a, in a rapid changing environment and technology doesn't really last long. And I think what ended up happening was um, with current events is everyone was kind of forced to make that next step, right? And forced to adopt remote. Um, but, you know, I'll, if we look back at, at the, even the roots of CIS, CIS originally, in when it started in early 2000, was a purely remote company, right? It had a handful of employees, and you know, I remember I was saying Clint Kreitner was telling me that he was he he ran the business from his RV, you know, traveling across the United States. So you know, and this is 20, 20 years or so ago, right? So it is it is a a, a new normal in some sense. Um, but it has existed in some fashion prior. Um, I think as we've just, you know, kind of been forced our hand to to adapt to change perhaps quicker than than we would have um, adapted. But I think a lot of the the changes in paradigm, you know, were there even before you know this event occurred, right? We've already were talking about 
zero trust. We were already talking about, you know, credentials being the front line and, you know, and that's been the way since, you know, VPNs. And then, you know, of course, that was only for exception. Oh, maybe sales because they're always gone. And then, oh, maybe if you're, you know, so it's, we've kind of, the box has been gradually opened over time. Um, but I think now we're just kind of realizing that the entire box is open, but it's not necessarily like a huge, huge shift. But I think what's going to be interesting is going to see, um, you know, how much platforms are going to be kind of that that new front facing um, zone defense, right? Where your your desktop or, or your computer is really just going to be a simple interface and your data is going to be stored. And you look at something like Office you know, 365, or you look at, you know, where all your files and everything are just on those platforms. Well, you know, it's a lot easier to kind of defend those, right? You set up something like MFA, you know, your concerns over patching the end client end up being a little less pertinent, a little less important, um, just because it's not necessarily, you know, where your responsibilities lie. So I think it's been a uh, it's definitely been, I think, a rough, rough growing experience. But I mean, you don't you don't join the technology sector uh, if you don't expect to handle a little bit of change, right? And a little bit of of dynamic um, elements. So I think that's that is one of the beauty is that it does allow us to be, um, you know, to always learn in the sector. I think this is just one of these uh, these difficult um, learning lessons. But when it comes down to the data science, which is probably where it's a little bit more like my expertise than uh, my pontification about technology sector. We did do a, um, you know, an analysis last year um, in between the re- a release of reports to kind of see, you know, are we seeing this digital transformation, um, you know, impact trends and breaches and incidents. And, you know, it wasn't, you know, there were some things that were somewhat conclusive, but not necessarily in the sense that, you know, we know, this change kind of initiated this other change. It's these, well, it was already headed in that direction. So there was already a process that adversaries were going through that were effective for them. And more or less what they've done is just ramped up their efforts, right? We see how they ramped up their efforts. They changed their, their bait. You know, I think the good example is, you know, fishing, right? It's always, it's not a new tactic, right? It's been around forever. Um, but what we did see is we saw just kind of that consistent, you know, they're increasing and then they're also throwing in, you know, different types of fishing lures that were, you know, relevant to Corona or, or COVID or vaccines um, just because they were, they were, you know, topic du jour. And I'm sure after yesterday, they probably changed their bait to Facebook, you know, and something regarding that. So there's, you know, it's these, these changes and shifts the adversaries are doing, but really aren't that big deviations, right? Even though how we're doing business has changed um, and we are, you know, more of a remote forward um, industry or economy now, um, attackers, you know, they were using the same types of vulnerabilities and in, in exchange or the same types of issues that existed even before we did this transition. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's been a dramatic change. I think it's more of a change that we we feel like we have less visibility. Um, but the technology has improved significantly. I mean, 
10 years ago, it would have been, I think, a very different experience, you know, and 20 years ago, it would have been a, an even more different experience. But I think, you know, the platforms now are being built, they're more robust and I'm monitoring by default. You know, you start looking at what Microsoft is offering, you know, as part of its different um, license models and such. And it's, yeah, some of it's very robust, you know, and some of it's just kind of, it's built into the operating system or it's built into the platform. Yeah, agreed. Absolutely. Um, I, I think you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, from a, a perspective piece, I think it's that um, tangible, as it were, that, you know, from traditional brick and mortar that have had to adjust. Um, but again, like you say, 20 years ago, you know, I think there would have been a, a lot more difficulty in being able to accomplish what was done. Uh, and, you know, we've been living it and... In some cases, in some cases, people have adapted, and in some cases, you know, it, it was a struggle. And um, but I do think it brings awareness uh, to everyone, uh, you know, about building uh, really a new risk model or an identification that we may have, and not necessarily, well, in some cases, forced into that we are a remote organization, and um, you know, the larger tech companies realizing that and. Yeah, if you want to come back, fine. If you don't, stay home. We're, we're, you know, we're, you're working effectively no matter where you are. Uh, again, the, yeah. the, the RV example you gave. Yeah, you hope so. It's perfect. It, it's right. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I want to move on to um, the community defense model. Um, again, you were a contributor. Um, a lot of the information in there is influenced uh, by the DBIR. I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on version two, literally just came out hot off the press. Uh, what are your thoughts on the CDM processes and it, it's uh, and it, as a concept for an organization? Yeah. So, I mean, I will state I, I'm extremely biased towards the CDM. I think the approach taken um, to be able to, you know, bridge these different resources, things that are looking at strategic level trends, like say the DBIR and being able to tie it to tactical, technical behaviors, like what's in MITRE um, is gonna be an important next step. I think the CDM is this is that first step forward, right? To be able to say there are these large patterns, there are these large trends and that these trends are really leveraging these subsets of MITRE attack model um, and then being able to correlate that across different reports, I think it's just going to be, you know, um, a massive development. And this is something, and one of the reasons that, you know, I'm extremely biased towards it is because as kind of a, um, a interim, you know, ad hoc research project I had done while I was at CIS, uh, was correlating every report out there, every vendor report going through and saying, you know, what were the findings? What were the trends they were seeing? Were they seeing malware go up? Were they seeing phishing? Um, and then the, quickly you go through it and you realize there's, there's no standardization, right? No one talks about um, things in the same way. Like what, what's a business email compromise, right? What kind of attack is that? What does that explicitly entail? What is it not? Um, there's different answers to that. Right, and there isn't necessarily a consistent view on it, so it's difficult, you know, being a being a CISO or, or being a decision maker 
to read these reports, pull in, and then find a way to standardize it and say, you know, this is the world. So ultimately what we end up doing is we just kind of pull from one, one data source that we feel is trusted, right? We, there's something that says, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, my vendor, blah, 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 um, is my favorite because they seem to have a very strong approach towards data science or they seem to have large amount of visibility. You know, I'm going to go towards their findings and their views and help that, you know, help drive, you know, my decision. However, no single vendor has full visibility into the cybersecurity problem. I don't care who you are. You don't have full visibility into it. There might be some exceptions. Um, I think Microsoft might maybe have a pretty good visibility into the Microsoft ecosystem, which obviously is not the full ecosystem, but you know, aside from that, you know, we each have these different perspectives. I'm saying that as Verizon too, right? You know, we have a piece of the pie. We have some view and, you know, that intrinsically is a bias in our data, right? And that's one of the reasons why we value contributors and we value so much being able to work with the community is because that kind of helps eliminate some of those biases. You know, so, you know, Verizon, we... We do have security services. Um, you know, we can't have our data set be entirely based on its audience, right? On its customers, because at the end of the day, you know, that's a that's a subset of the larger A industry, and it's also a subset of the specific sensors and the specific data sources we're getting. Um, so it's difficult to kind of have these broad views. But tying it back to the original question. CDM allows that, will hopefully allow that kind of, um, that nexus point where we can start saying and seeing, you know, well, what are the trends that say someone like FireEye or, or Mandiant now, um, you know, what are they seeing for targeted intrusions, right? For that pattern and how that ties back to, to MITRE or, you know, what is, um, you know, uh, Security or you know any other you know web application fire. What are they seeing in terms of exploitation attempts or OWASP in terms of what the top app, you know web application vulnerabilities are? And then you know how does that apply to a pattern like web application hacking? Um, so I think being able to to bridge these gaps and have like a central you know point that we can say you know these are the big trends. This is the the world view according to these different, you know, players that each have a view and each provide their own benefit, you know, let's combine them and, you know, have that kind of driver overall stand state. Cause we're all, you know, we're all within this, this ecosystem, even though, you know, we can only get glimpses from each of these different players. No, absolutely. I, I think, you know, the work itself speaks to really advancing the context, as it were. So utilizing uh, DBIR, bringing that into play, looking then at the attack summaries and patterns that are used, and then being able to control those are really mitigating an overall risk of uh, said attack tactic, uh, uh, tactic or technique, um, really gives a, a whole new perspective. And I think it's a really great view into the way organizations can... Um, utilize the products right and I, I think that's the the key point of standardization 
is, you know, really trying to make sense of all these dis, uh, separate sources of information. How do I consume those uh, and kind of bring it to fruition within an organization in a way that's conducive to my organization, the context of that organization and how it's influenced by, you know, all the work that you've done, um, you know, through Verizon, the work that we're doing through uh, controls and uh, bringing that together from a community perspective. And then obviously everything Mida's doing as well. And, you know, being able to create a process through that, I think is really, really, uh, it's such an interesting uh, project and process. Um, what was it like being part of the team and going through and being a contributor? Um, what were the insights that you got from really the overall essence of what CDM is? Yeah, so you know, I think the um, you know being a contributor, and like I said, you know, having a lot of background in this, um, you know, I championed it, you know, for a while while I was at CIS, the idea of kind of bridging these these gaps. Um, you know, for me, it was uh, it was definitely a, a moment of of awe, right? As I kind of saw this idea, I had spent you know a while championing and helping, you know, develop, and all of a sudden, it's got its own legs. And, you know, it's being taken on by this just phenomenal team that has been able to, to take it to the next level um, and make it even better. And now I'm able to kind of contribute from the outside and be, oh, you know, this is, this is developing and this is maturing in a way that, you know, was, was very, um, I'd anticipate, right? Because, you know, sometimes, especially pet projects or, you know, they, yeah, they, uh, you sometimes have opinions about them when, when someone else takes them over, but you know, it's been, like I said, it's, it's an awesome team to work with and the, uh, the folks that are willing to kind of come together and work on this and collaborate has been, you know, it's always been uh, inspiring and, you know, especially because it requires so much expertise. And I think you, know, you just kind of listed it off, you know, it's, oh, well, you know, you know, being able to combine in the controls and combine in a miter and these, these large industry trends. And it's like, well, no single per. I mean, you could have a single person that could have a good understanding of this entire world, right? In, in terms of you know what controls can mitigate which techniques and which techniques tie back to which large industry pattern and these trends, you could. But man, when you're trying to argue for people to you know just uh, you know deploy MFA, or you're trying to fight you know the day to day battle. You don't necessarily have the the resources to do that. So being able to come together as a community and say, "Well, we got an expert from Miter, we got an expert from Verizon, we got blah blah blah. Let's collaborate. Let's make a mix match, so that you know, no single person has to be this you know this authority on it. Um, they can just leverage the community. So it's you know, I definitely enjoy being able to to give back to the community, and especially you know having worked on you know control. Um, version eight as well, you know, is always back on my mind when these new controls are, are being developed or proposed. Okay, what specific pattern of attack is this going to, to mitigate? Or, you know, there's kind of this other slightly, you know, not talked about yet, but this, you know, not all controls specifically mitigate, some controls enhance, right? They don't, they're not necessarily being applied to an actor, they're being applied to your security program. You know, think of an asset inventory. Asset inventory in itself doesn't stop an attacker, but it certainly helps you know if you have coverage for your assets, for your vulnerabilities, and access control and logging and all that. Um, 
so, you know, what roles will this control help to either enhance my program or mitigate these attacks? And it's always this balancing act, right? We don't have, you know, infinite money to, to throw at every single technique. Though I have been on a call where an organization said, well, everyone says you shouldn't be using, you know, the, the MITRE attack matrix as a checklist. But we went through and we checked them all. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, right. yeah. You're also like a, a Fortune 100 company, so your your IT is probably bigger than you know vast majority of organizations. Period. So it's um it's certainly doable, and it's it's always a question of of money, right? You know, you can move mountains with money, um, but you know, for everyone else, they have to make these trade offs. And I think being able to bring the experts together and say, you know, these are the types of badness we see in the world and these are the types of things that will mitigate it um you know of course to some level of trust us we're the experts um but like any good math student you know we show our work and i think the cdm does a good job of of showing the logic behind the you know its decisions absolutely absolutely one of the critical pieces as well I think it's the MITRE attack framework and, and being able to utilize that. I just call it the periodic table, uh, you know, from cybersecurity perspective. What are your thoughts on uh, what MITRE has done uh, with this particular um, framework? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I've, uh, I've kind of made my, my last uh, six months to a year kind of having that be my focus, um, you know, uh, essentially building off some of what CDM has been started and some other work that but tying in together what we what we do, you know, we have our own framework uh, that's part of the DBIR called Veris. Um, you know, we've, it's been, you know, we've created, it's about a decade old or so and we maintain it. And it's kind of the, you know, how we do all our analysis. And I've been working with folks at MITRE and some other folks in the industry to kind of tie these pieces together. So how does our, language, you know, kind of tied to their language. And I think what MITRE has done is really been that kind of, um, you know, that, that uh, term has escaped my mind right now. Rosetta Stone, there we go. The Rosetta Stone of cybersecurity um, because the industry has really adopted it, right? Before there wasn't like a standard language to describe what bad folks are doing on systems to do their badness. Um, this has come by as kind of that model and everyone is kind of, you know, rallying around this concept and being able to say, okay, well, what data sources can detect this technique? What groups are using this? What software implements this? How can we mitigate? Um, can I build a test, right? Can I test to see if this is still a valid technique? Um, can I detect it? So, and a lot of these resources are open source, right? So that encourages even more development and even more um, kind of return back for the community which has just been just very impressive to, you know, my opinion. Um, I won't say that it's a perfect framework. I think there's still a certain just kind of, you know, it's the, the nitpicky stuff you would expect when you, you've, you know, had to go through it a couple hundred times where you're like, well, you know, these things really aren't equivalent or, you know, this is overly specific without any real justification or, yeah, I think we all have minor gripes like that, but, you know, overall, it's kind of become the industry standard. And I think, you know, you don't need to look much further than any job posting, you know, for a SOC analyst or Intel analyst, you know, you're basically going to find some mention of, of attack on there just because it has become 
so central to how we, you know, we communicate and we engineer detection capabilities. Um, then also how we, you know, we, we produce threat intelligence. Definitely. Definitely. Actually, moving on there with uh, speaking of threat, um, how important is it to um, really apply threat modeling to build upon uh, the CDM fundamentals? So bringing that threat perspective to utilizing uh, CDM within an organization. Yeah. So, you know, my um, my background is actually in, you know, can be roundabout question, answer here to the question, but, you know, my my education is in, in you know critical infrastructure protection, and I, I did it in Canada right in early two thousands. So the the main approach towards kind of risk management is the all hazards risk management approach, right? Where you have to take consideration, you know, the gambit of different threats that can occur, right, and how those those risks will manifest themselves based on the vulnerabilities. So. Just even being able to understand what those threats are, are really key to that step of applying it to my organization, right? I mean, I think there's, you know, the, the old school understanding of risks, right? Vulnerability, and you have to have a threat that will exploit vulnerability, causing an impact to an asset. Um, you know, without having some understanding as to what the possible threats are, you're kind of limited to you know, looking back and, you know, trying to figure out retroactively or, or historically what were the trends and, you know, but there's also something to be said about being able to, you know, say, you know, this is the world we know and this is kind of some of the the additional things that, you know, aren't necessarily going to be part of that narrative but that are unique to my organization, right? I think organizations have to be able to take what is kind of the, you know, the, the common threats we're all seeing, right? Where you have an email address, you're going to get phishing emails. You have, you know, exposed um, services that require login, you're going to get brute force. But there's, of course, those unique components to your, your business um, that you need to consideration. Threat modeling, I think, just helps drive that, that connection to say, you know, obviously, yes, we face, you know, this baseline of threats that if you have an internet address, you're going to face. However, you know, these, these unique things, you know, have a larger impact or have a, a different type of potential, you know, consequence um, that we need to take in consideration. And, you know, striking that balance is, is really finesse. And I do like the approach that, um, that SysRAM is, is taking with uh, looking at the different stakeholders and understanding, you know, what is going to be the impact of them when you're conducting your, your risk management. And also something that that's also worth noting is that Threat modeling differs dramatically depending who you ask, right? You have a software engineering version of threat modeling like Stride and um, I forget the other acronyms because I haven't done it in a little while, but, you know, that looks at specifically, you know, how, you know, going through a process of understanding how could an adversary abuse, you know, different ways our application. And then there's like the risk management threat modeling, which is, you know, what's the world of, of threats and how does that tie to our risks? And that's, that, that's once again, that's, that's a little bit of a disconnect um, sometimes between like the pure, the pure engineering practice and then the, um, the business practice of it as well. No, and there's a, you know, a few good acronym, Pastor, Octave, all of yep. those ones out there that we could, <laughs> that we could, uh, we could discuss. 
Well, Phil, that uh, comes to the end of our uh, podcast, our discussion. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time and providing your insights. It's uh, really great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. So that's all we have for today's show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the discussion. And please remember to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow CIS on social media for the latest cybersecurity news and updates. Until next time, I'm Sean Atkinson. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.